What if James kept the invisibility cloak part one? Hey brother. Oh man, do we have a good one for you guys today. What if James had actually kept the invisibility cloak. As you may recall, Dumbledore is in possession of the cloak by the time Harry arrives at school because he borrows it from James to inspect it, suspecting that it was one of the Deathly Hallows. And he is correct. However, this of course means that when Voldemort does attack, James doesn't have access to the cloak. And on some level, this may have felt like giving up a very useful piece of armor, but you have to remember that the entire Potter home is basically under a giant invisibility cloak that is the Fidelius Charm. So it's never felt like that big of a deal, but what if he still had it? Could it have changed anything that night? And you might think, well, just having the cloak on at all probably wouldn't make that much of a difference. I mean, would that actually stop Voldemort from finding one of the Potters? Couldn't he just like take it off them? And the answer is probably, but also maybe not. We obviously get some lore about the Third Hallow, but not tons of specifics. There is this one line, however, from Harry about this exact situation. The cloak wouldn't have helped them survive though, Harry said quickly. Voldemort knew where my mom and dad were. The cloak couldn't have made them curse-proof. And Dumbledore does agree with him on this point, but to me it always reads like he's just letting Harry make excuses for him here, and if Harry is willing to let it go, then there's really no reason to press the issue. I mean, you tell me. For context, here's the full exchange. And then your father died, and I had two hallows at last all to myself. His tone was unbearably bitter. The cloak wouldn't have helped them survive though, Harry said quickly. Voldemort knew where my mom and dad were. The cloak couldn't have made them curse-proof. True, sighed Dumbledore, true. Harry waited, but Dumbledore did not speak, so he prompted him. Do you see what I mean? It kind of feels like Dumbledore has some reservations here. Even if they are not curse-proof, if he can't see them, he can't kill them. Maybe they could have just used it to escape the house, or maybe he really just wouldn't have been able to find them at all. I mean, if the legend about death giving the cloak to the third brother is to be believed, then death himself, who the cloak used to belong to, could never find the third brother no matter how hard he looked. Not for nothing, but that makes it sound pretty darn powerful. And not for nothing, but Voldemort looking for you seems pretty akin to death themselves looking for you. <laughs> On top of that, if you don't want to take the lore of the Tale of the Three Brothers seriously, then we can look at two other lines from Dumbledore, who, if you'll recall from the conversation just before, chose to remain silent, but is now revisiting the powers of the cloak. First, and he's referencing himself and Grindelwald here, Both of us could conceal ourselves well enough without the cloak, the true magic of which, of course, is that it can be used to protect and shield others as well as its owner. An excellent point that feels relevant to the situation at hand, concealing yourself may be one thing, but hiding others less capable of such magic, like your infant, who happens to be the chosen one, is the real power. But then in the same discussion, there is also this quote, again for context, he starts by referring to the Elder Wand. I was permitted to tame and to use it, because I took it, not for gain, but to save others from it. But the cloak I took out of vain curiosity, and so it could never have worked for me as it works for you, its true owner. And that is the one that really drives it home for me. It could have never worked for me as it works for you, its true owner. As if there is something unique about the way that the cloak works for Harry, its true master instead of other people. And yet we know it does still work for other people, even if Harry isn't under the cloak with them. Ron appeared out of nowhere as he pulled off Harry's invisibility cloak. He had been down at Hagrid's hut, helping him feed Norbert, who was now eating dead rats by the crate. Brief aside, where was Hagrid getting crates of dead rats? Did they come pre-dead? I don't know which is worse. <laughs> Ron owns a pet rat. That's gotta suck. What if that or Scabbers was freaking out that day? That's, yeah, that's the real what if. What if Ron had fed Scabbers to Norbert? Everything's solved. 
I'm way off topic. The point is, the cloak works for other people, and presumably Dumbledore put it on himself to see how it works. So what does he mean it would work differently for its true owner? It's an invisibility cloak and makes people invisible. That is the power, right? My body's gone. So if it has to do something more than make you invisible, but also not go as far as to make you fully curse-proof, then to me the extra layer it gives its true owner is that it makes you unfindable. Think of this like the power of the room of requirement when the DA asked it to be unfindable by Umbridge or the Inquisitorial Squad. Like everything else with the room of requirement, that then became a feature of the room itself. That being said though, and before you mention it, yes, I know Moody can actually see through the cloak, but I think that actually says more about the power of his eye than anything else. The backstory of which I'm sure must also be insane. But anyway, all of that is to say that yes, I do think the Potters, had it been in their possession, could have made effective use of the cloak on the night of Voldemort's attack to the tune of whoever was covered could not be found. And with that groundwork laid, we are now forced to ask the question, what if James never let the cloak to Dumbledore? And y'all, we need to take a brief pause right there to give a huge thank you to today's sponsor, MeUndies. Okay, raise your hand if, like me, you find the whole, like, new year, new me concept a little bit overwhelming. Everyone? Yeah, I thought so. Like, suddenly changing who I am and being at the gym at 6am every morning isn't exactly on my New Year's bingo card. But even if it is on yours, MeUndies has you covered. No matter what your goals, they want you to feel empowered to be yourself. Their Move Me collection, for example, is soft and moisture wicking, ready to support your movements big and small. And if you want to lounge, you'll love their buttery soft undies, loungewear, and PJs. And okay, I will level with you guys. Last year, I was the New Year New Me dude, and I did run a marathon. And on that day and all through training, I truly did wear MeUndies, and they were perfect. But that was last year. This year I've got a whole new approach and it involves a couch and probably this really cool head-to-toe MeUndies Star Wars onesie. Because when it comes down to it, no matter what your goals, you'll have unmatched comfort. MeUndies signature fabric is breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. So kick off the new year comfier than ever and get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com super. That's MeUndies.com super for 20% off plus free shipping. One last time, meundies.com slash super. Link in the description down below. Okay, so obviously there are a few different ways the cloak could have been used on the night of. Maybe James covers all three of them. Maybe he just covers Lily and Harry, or maybe they only cover Harry as they know he's the intended target. But I think based on what usually goes down that night, that third scenario is probably the most likely. When Harry hears his parents' voices during his encounters with the Dementors, his dad says, Lily, take Harry and go. It's him. Go, run. I'll hold him off. Now, of course, there is little time to act, and they immediately separate with James trying to hold Voldemort off wandlessly. But we know that he buys at least enough time to make it upstairs into Harry's nursery. As such, I don't think James makes it under the cloak, and based on what we know Lily does afterwards, I think she would have tried to fight off Voldemort as well, and so only covers Harry with the cloak. At which point you might think, wait, James, who would have been the rightful master at the time, didn't do the covering, so will the cloak work for its true owner if Lily is the one who did it? 
Well, if you will recall from, you know, five seconds ago, James just died. So it's been a rather eventful five seconds because not only is Harry's family under attack, but also the true owner would have just then become Harry following the tradition of the cloak being passed from parent to child. And so I do think it would protect him in the way that we have described and basically make him unfindable to Voldemort, even though he must know Harry is in the house somewhere. It's kind of like his own little private ancient magical artifact powered Fidelius charm tent. Available now at REI. Limited time only. I'm kidding, there's only one and it's quite literally priceless, so. In the meantime though, Lily is still in the house and not about to give anything up and as usual voluntarily dies and in doing so, casts sacrificial protection on Harry. But here's where things get interesting. Voldemort can then not locate Harry in the house and try and finish him off. He searches and searches, but has no luck and in a fit of rage, destroys the house for good measure and flees the scene. The destruction of the house as ever destroys the Fidelius charm though, so others can see it and Hagrid can still come and collect Harry from the ruins. Oh no, but wait, will Hagrid be able to find him with the cloak on? Amazingly, yes. While the protection of the cloak would make him unfindable to Voldemort, it doesn't need to protect him from Hagrid, so Hagrid could either hear him crying or else pull the cloak off and still be able to locate Harry. In fact, this exact explanation could be how either Luna or Tonks, depending on your version of the story, is capable of finding finding Harry under the cloak after Draco stomps on his face on the train. And I bet you thought it was Nargles. <laughs> Raxperts? <laughs> it's Tonks anyway, so who cares? Either way, this means almost everything goes down the same way, but with two major differences. Harry is not marked with the lightning-shaped scar and does not become a Horcrux, and Voldemort doesn't destroy himself, failing to kill Harry because he didn't even get the chance. So how do the next 10 years pan out while Harry grows up enough to eventually go to Hogwarts? As ever, he'd end up at the Dursleys where Dumbledore can place the bond of blood upon him so that Voldemort can't find him there either. Which at this point has to be straight up infuriating if you are Voldemort. Like this is the most unfair game of hide and seek that has ever existed. But Voldemort sucks, so no sympathy whatsoever. <laughs> Overall though, this is a much bigger deal because Voldemort never fell. So does that just mean that 10 years later, the whole world has fallen and he's taken over? Well, it probably should mean that, but no, as ever, Voldemort's main concern once he knows about the prophecy is to fulfill it by killing Harry. And he plans on using Harry's death to make his final Horcrux. So he waits with his new plan of luring Harry into the open by creating a false calm. And this may sound unlike Voldemort, but remember his goal is immortality. So days, weeks, even years are on the whole less important to him. So he halts Death Eater activity until such a time that Harry will go to Hogwarts. And this is actually similar to what happens at the end of our What If Neville is the Chosen One series as well. But by doing this, the wizarding world lets its guard down to the point where Harry is allowed to actually go to school which actually is part of the plan because Voldemort has a fantastic way to attack Harry at the school right under Dumbledore's broken nose, the diary. And like, why wait? Just go ahead and plant it right away so Harry doesn't have any time to learn more magic and then you don't have to personally attack. Just sit back and watch. And while Ginny's not at school yet, I think Voldemort can guess Harry will be in Gryffindor based on his parents and will target another kid in his year who's likely to end up there as well, Ron. Ha, another Weasley. I know just what to do with you, Gryffindor. <laughs> Those Weasleys. 
Love their diaries. And as per always, Ron and Harry become besties, but then Ron quickly opens the chamber and the attacks begin. If I had to guess, the first one is on Halloween and hits Hermione, who's going to be off by herself crying in the bathroom because of something Ron said. A little bit of an oopsies. It is worth noting that this go around, Harry can't hear the basilisk because he isn't a horcrux, but he still does his sleuthing and realizes Ron is getting out of bed at night and is able to follow him down to the chamber on one such occasion, courtesy of the invisibility cloak. And we all know how this one plays out. Tom Riddle appears, jump scare basilisk. <laughs> Fox, hat, sword, you know the deal. Except the sword has an interesting twist. If you're a longtime subscriber, you know that we firmly believe that Voldemort had the sword with him when he went to go kill Harry as a baby. The sword was intended to be the final Horcrux that would complete the set of Founder's objects alongside Hufflepuff's cup, Ravenclaw's diadem, and of course, Slytherin's locket. But usually he loses it after the attack, at which point it just disappears, as it's known to do. This time, however, he'd still have it uncruxed until Harry summons it to himself in the chamber and swiftly kills the basilisk with it. And so the diary gets destroyed and Dumbledore is able to learn about the Horcruxes. Overall, a very bad night for Voldemort, who is down a Horcrux and a rare object he was going to make into a Horcrux, plus that Potter kid is still alive, but... And now, what is Voldemort to do? Well, the good news for him is that even though this was a failure, it wasn't a very public failure. And as far as the public is concerned, he's been dormant for 10 years. So he can still operate pretty good in secrecy. Unfortunately, he doesn't have another great way into Hogwarts, but there is a very public widespread wizarding event just on the horizon he can hope to capitalize on, the Quidditch World Cup, which will be fittingly hosted in Britain. As it is already, the Death Eaters get up to fun here in the main story, but this time around, way more of them will be at large, and it really can be like a coming out party for the dark side. For Harry, that means he gets two pretty regular years at Hogwarts where nothing too crazy actually happens. He just goes to school and learns things. Boring. But during that time, with things being slower, I think Dumbledore makes significant progress on his Horcrux research. Either way, that lands us at the Quidditch World Cup. Harry and friends attend. Hermione is still, of course, a bestie after the whole chamber situation. Ireland wins, but Crumb catches the snitch. Celebrations ensue, but then... Dark marks appear everywhere. Unironically this time. They weren't really ironic the first time, just, you know, more dangerful this time. Security around Harry was, of course, tight, but absolute chaos ensues as panic breaks out everywhere. Death Eaters are openly attacking civilians and causing damage, spreading horrors, and ministry officials thin. So when Harry and company find themselves in the clearing, they don't discover Winky the house elf, but instead, Voldemort in the flesh. Harry, of course, reaches for his wand, but it's not there. Usually, Barty Crouch takes Harry's wand in the top box almost by accident just because it's right there in front of him. But obviously, this time, he never got sent to Azkaban in the first place. But with years of planning, Voldemort has now instructed Barty Crouch Jr. to steal Harry's wand during the match to ensure he's without a weapon. So, with no defense, Voldemort doesn't hesitate. Time to die, Harry Potter. Havana Kedavra! Havana Kedavra! And then Voldemort's world implodes. What's left of his soul is ripped from his body, which withers away beneath him. Somehow, his spell has backfired. He's nothing but pain and terror, and he flees. At the sight of Voldemort's defeat, the uncaptured Death Eaters retreat and scatter to the winds. Barty Crouch Jr. is not among them. He's been caught, and Harry's wand is recovered. Harry awakes the next day, having somehow survived the Avada Kedavra curse with nothing more than a large, sprawling, lightning-shaped scar across his chest. Much more macho. <laughs> <laughs>
Usually Lily's sacrificial protection kicks in immediately and is put to the test just moments later, but this time it's been well over a decade and the protection still lingers, meaning as ever, Voldemort's spell backfired and Harry is left, the boy who lived. As we all know, just like last time, this doesn't mean that Voldemort has been defeated. So tune in next week for part two and the finale of What If James Kept the Invisibility Cloak. Guys, for my question of the day, with a Harry Potter TV series potentially out there on the horizon, how would you guys feel if instead of following the traditional story, they went with a completely built from the ground up what if scenario, like the what if Harry was in Slytherin? Be sure to let us know in the towel section down below. But as always guys, be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you'd like some more what if action before next week, you can check out this video right over here where we break down what would have happened if Neville had been the chosen one, but otherwise, until next time, bye!